My name is Billy. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and we are in week three of our 15-week series on the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this series on the Holy Spirit, there are a few points I'm going to quickly go over just to to, to help uh, continue to share and understand the heart behind this series. We want to better understand and acknowledge the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to become more dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to be more attuned to and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we want to experience more of His presence in our lives. And as a result of the above, we want to bear more fruit of the Spirit, begin to see Jesus more clearly, and begin to see the Father more glorified in our lives than ever before. And so today, as we continue this series, we're going to be looking at the role of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at what He does. And our text is found in John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. And we're not going to be diving into all of the details of this particular test. Rather, it will text. It will uh, serve as a launching point for us. And so I will be reading and teaching from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB or the HCSB, if you have that um, on your apps. Otherwise, you can read it on the screen up here. So John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15, Jesus continues. He says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him, but you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus promises. I am coming to you. Church, this is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you and thank you for your Word. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans as Jesus promised. This morning... Father, we want to see Jesus more clearly. We ask you to pour out your Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you would lead us into all truth as Jesus promised. We love you, God, and we give ourselves to you now as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, Zach spoke about the person of the Holy Spirit, and he taught that God is one God, but he expresses himself as three distinct individuals. God is a, one God, is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the individual members of the Trinity have separate roles, but they overlap. The Father, Son, and the Spirit have separate roles, but they overlap. And uh, their roles, the roles of the Father, Son, and the Spirit are all things that are tied to things that God delights in doing. And so today, we're going to look at specifically at the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the world. And we're going to cover a lot of ground today. So I'm going to start by doing a general introduction uh, into what is the role of the Holy Spirit. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? The Bible lists many, many things. In fact, uh, dozens of things, over 30 things specifically that the Holy Spirit does. But we can put this huge list into just two general ways of explaining what the Holy Spirit does. Generally, the Holy Spirit manifests the presence of the living God, 
and the Holy Spirit applies the work of God to everything that he encounters. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world, and he is working in tandem with the Father and with Jesus. And we see this throughout the Bible and throughout history, starting at the very beginning of the Bible. The very first book of the Bible shows us a work of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1.1 tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, It says that the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so we see the triune nature of God here. God the Father, the the Creator, Jesus, the Son of God, who the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John both tell us the Father deferred to the Son, and Jesus is the literal mouthpiece of creation, speaking things into creation. And here in Genesis 1, verse 2, we see the Spirit hovering over the whole thing. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is the Holy Spirit always doing? He's manifesting the presence of God upon this new work. And so we see the Spirit manifesting the presence of God in creation. We also see the Spirit manifesting the presence of God in salvation. Uh, It's a work of God to recreate fallen mankind. Uh, The Father wills and predestines this work as He sends His Son to demonstrate His love. Jesus submits to the Father and comes to the earth and lives a life in submission to the Father, ultimately giving His life as an act of love and submission to the Father. The Spirit then applies this work to the hearts of dead people, causing us to come alive again, causing us to respond to the love of God. And we also know that the the Spirit manifests God's presence not just in the past, but also in the future as we look forward to the Spirit manifesting God's presence in the renewal of all things. When Jesus returns in glory, as he conquers and corrects every wrong thing on earth, Jesus is going to present the earth and present the inhabitants of the earth to the Father like a gift-wrapped present. The Spirit is going to be among the church. The Spirit is going to be among the people on earth, beckoning and calling. And we see this huge push of salvation at the very end as things are tied up and brought back into God. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are joyfully working together in all things as one. And the Spirit's work in all of this is to manifest the presence of God and apply the work of God to everything he does. So that we see the Holy Spirit works both on us, and the Holy Spirit works in us. He works on us by manifesting God's presence to us, and he works in us by empowering us to follow Jesus and to become more like Jesus. And so we're going to look at three distinct attributes of the Holy Spirit. We're going to consider uh, there's three ways that the role of the Spirit is played out. The first is the function of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work? The second thing we're going to look at is the objective of the Holy Spirit. Uh, What are the Spirit's goals in what He's doing? And then the third thing we're going to look at is the motivation. Uh, Why does the Spirit do what He does? And so first we're looking at the function. How does the Spirit work on a person? We see this every time a person is saved uh, and becomes a new person. We see this throughout the Bible as people repent of their sin and they turn to God and they start following God. It's a supernatural work. The Holy Spirit works to change the hearts of people to follow God. It's not simply a point of decision for a person, right, when they stand up at an altar call. It's not so much the raising of a hand or the praying, the sinner's prayer, or even coming to church and attending church. The function, the role of the Holy Spirit 
upon a person is a work that changes a person. Spiritual blindness is supernaturally healed, and a person can see and know God. Spiritually dead lives are given life, and they come alive. New life is breathed into us. And we see in Scripture it is the role of the Holy Spirit to breathe new life into spiritually dead people. And I can bear witness to this in my own life. I once was dead, but today, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I am spiritually alive. And I know that this work of regeneration is the Holy Spirit moving on me and bringing me and carrying me through life. And I'm so thankful for this work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But the cool thing is that He doesn't just stop there working on us. The Holy Spirit doesn't just work on me. He wants to roll up His sleeves and get dirty, and in my case, really dirty, working in me. The Holy Spirit wants to dig in and do a deeper work. Now, throughout the New Testament, the apostles refer to this deeper work. Um, They refer to it as a work within, or they'll refer to it as an indwelling, an indwelling of the Spirit. See, the Spirit doesn't simply want to move on you. He wants to invade. The Holy Spirit wants to invade and work from within. The Apostle Paul describes this invasion this way in Romans chapter 8. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We're brought to new life spiritually through the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, sometimes I wonder why God even bothers uh, with me. Why does God bother dealing with people like me that are so selfish and so difficult? Why is he so passionately pursuing me? He doesn't let up on me. Does saving us and walking with us, does it really stir God's heart with affection? Really? Is that really what God is into? And so I think about it this way. Just what is God's mission statement? What's his purpose? What's God's mission statement? And some people might answer that question. Well, God's mission statement is to save sinners. And yeah, we, ought, we know that, that God does that. But that's not his end goal. If saving sinners was God's mission statement, then what are we supposed to do with Genesis 1 and 2 where God is seeking people before their sin has entered the world even? We see God pursuing relationship with sinless people. And so God has a deeper plan. God has a deeper plan than just to fix broken people. And this is important for us to hear. Maybe you need to hear this today. You are not a broken object for God to fix. You are a child for him to love. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. You're not a broken object for God to fix. You're a child for him to love. It gives you a glimpse into his heart. Yeah, God has demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. Yeah, God has moved and acted in ways to save us and restore us. But that's not the end goal. It's a step on the path to God's goal. Check out sometime, check out Ephesians 3.11. Paul talks about this uh, eternal purpose that God has. And God's big plan, it's kind of like a tapestry. As awesome as it is to look real close at some ancient tapestry to see how the dyes were made and how it's formed and how the fabric holds together, it's really only discernible when the details are seen. You've got to step back and kind of see the picture. 
And as we pull back from the details of of specific passages and even specific sections of text, as we look at the entire Bible, and this is one of the reasons that reading the Bible all the way through is such a a life-giving endeavor for the believer, because we're able to see the themes. We're able to see the, the realities of who God is as it's played out over history, because God doesn't change. And one of the themes about God that we get to glimpse when we look at the themes of Scripture is we get to see God's eternal plan woven throughout the Bible. And what is this plan? What is God's mission statement? To indwell. From the beginning to the end, from the beginning to the end, the Bible shows us that God desires to dwell. He desires to indwell. In Genesis, we see him creating a garden, dwelling in it. He creates people to dwell with them. At the end of Genesis, God is like moving in with a family, right? Abraham's family. And as that family gets bigger, God is dwelling with a nation. And he dwells with them through priests and prophets and kings. Not in that, I just said it in backwards order, but you know what I mean. And he dwells with Israel through these seasons And then they build this portable tabernacle as the nation grows and they're kind of a migrant nation moving around and he dwells in the tabernacle. And then they settle in a land and up on the mountain there in Jerusalem they build a temple and God dwells with his people in the temple. And then in the New Testament we see this complete shift as God himself steps onto earth as a man in the form of Jesus. Apostle John tells us this in John chapter 1. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, that, that the wording there, that He dwelt among us, it could be translated as He tabernacled among us, using that ancient expression of God's desire to dwell. It's the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God desires to dwell with His people. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us that God the Father is well pleased to dwell in Jesus in bodily form. That Jesus dies this sacrificial death on the cross, and then we see him raised into heaven, and it's like, wait, God came down, was pleased to dwell as Jesus, and he goes into heaven, and then we see something radical happening in Scripture. We see God establish an organic collection of people, an organic collection of people that he calls the church for his spirit to now indwell. God's eternal plan and purpose is to dwell in and among his people, the church. God has assembled for himself a people. Now, the church is a people. It's not a place. We're a people who are loved by God, a people who are saved through the work of Christ on the cross. We're a people whom God indwells by his Holy Spirit, and God desires to indwell us. It may help you today to remember that the Apostle Paul says that you are God's masterpiece. The Bible tells us that we are God's joyful pursuit. That we're the object of God's affections and God's passions. You're the object of God's passion. He is passionate about pursuing you. God is thrilled to share himself by indwelling people. It's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, starting in verse 22, that he subjected everything under his feet, talking about Jesus, subjected everything under his feet, and he appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. That picture of God indwelling people by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus indwelling this 
collection of people. Ephesians chapter 2, it continues in verse 21. It says, In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. The temple language is dwelling language, right? A temple is a place where God dwells. So as people are assembled and being put together, it's for a purpose, for God to dwell. It continues on. It says, In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Church, you exist so that God can dwell in you and with you and you in him. And the function of the Holy Spirit is to cultivate this dwelling place for God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He leads people to Jesus where we find salvation and hope, convicts us of sin, leads us on the path of righteousness. Uh, He leads us into all truth. The Spirit remains with us as our counselor and companion. The Spirit empowers us to walk in power and strength as children of God. God desires to dwell with us. That's how the Holy Spirit functions. Now, the second aspect of the Holy Spirit that we see that we're we're questioning and looking at is the objectives. What are the Spirit's goals in this? Now, the Spirit has three objectives as He works in us. Three objectives. Nothing's arbitrary. He does all things for these reasons. The Holy Spirit's three goals are, first of all, to exalt Jesus It's the first goal of the Holy Spirit, to exalt Jesus. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is to set people apart for God's purposes. You would call that perhaps a pursuit of holiness. But God, uh, he exalts Jesus, sets people apart for his purposes. And the third thing the Holy Spirit does is he engages us in mission. And so let's take a look at these individually. Objective number one, to exalt Jesus. Everything the Holy Spirit does is for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. To exalt, lift up, display, magnify, boast about the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. And He also will declare to you what is to come. For he will glorify me, Jesus says, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is all about glorifying Jesus. And notice the Spirit is not all about glorifying himself. And so if the Spirit, as just logic would dictate this, if the Spirit is all about the person and the work of Jesus, and if we are all about being a people who walk by the Spirit, then it ought to be that we are a people who are all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ as a Spirit-led people. And so if we have a theology or a manner of living or a doctrine that makes a lot of the, about the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing that we would make a lot about the Holy Spirit, but if we do, if we have a theology or manner of living or a doctrine that makes a lot about the Holy Spirit, then this Holy Spirit of obsession with ours should directly lead us to more and more Jesus in our lives, more and more Jesus in our vocabulary. If we're obsessed with the Holy Spirit, but we're not focusing more and more of our life and our worship and our vocabulary on Jesus, then we've taken a wrong turn somewhere. There's no place in Scripture where the Holy Spirit makes much of himself. He never boasts in himself, and he could, okay? If I was the Holy Spirit, I could find a thousand reasons to boast of myself. He was present at creation. He was the one bringing dead people to life spiritually, through salvation. He's the one who brings Jesus to life at the resurrection, the Bible tells us. He's the one who inspired men to write scriptures. The Holy Spirit is a big deal. 
yet he never boasts in himself. Why is that? Why is that? Because God is a triune God. The Father sends the Son as an act of love. The Son submits Himself to the will of the Father, and He glorifies the Father in everything He does, including going to the cross. He is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one, who inspired men to write Scripture. The Spirit is sent by Jesus to expose and explain the love of the Father by exalting Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit is all about the work and the person of Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus says this. This is a promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if you, or excuse me, but you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what happens when the Spirit comes upon a person? The power of the Holy Spirit manifests itself in a person through boasting in Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, we're all about Jesus in our Jerusalem, what's around us. We're all about Jesus in Judea, the the broader sphere of influence in which we live. We're all about Jesus in Samaria, which would have been a place that they wouldn't have wanted to be stoked about. Like, no one wanted to go to Samaria. Well, we're to be all about Jesus everywhere we go, even, even the areas that we're afraid of or we don't like or we wouldn't necessarily naturally find ourselves in. And then Jesus says, even to the end of the earth. The point is that we boast about Jesus everywhere we go, and some of us are going to be called to go places we don't want to go. Wherever we go, the Holy Spirit leads us in power to boast about Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit is at work in a people and among a people, Jesus gets more recognition. When the Holy Spirit is moving at a church, Jesus is put on full display as Lord and King. And so when a church is rightly aligned with the Holy Spirit, they will also be rightly aligned with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this plays out, we see it all throughout Scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. And Jesus is the uncontested hero of Scripture. The whole book, written by the Holy Spirit, is all about Jesus. And here's an example of this. Um, If you remember the disciples um, in their dismay after the crucifixion of Jesus, in fact, it was even after the resurrection of Jesus, they're leaving, they've left Jerusalem, and they're on this road, and they're walking, and Jesus comes up to them, but they don't recognize him, and they start talking to Jesus and expressing disappointment. We thought we knew who the Messiah was. It turns out I don't think he was the Messiah. He's dead. And then someone said he came back alive, but we haven't seen him. They're just kind of like moping and wondering on their way going back to fishing and doing whatever it is. And Jesus gives them a Bible study. Luke chapter 24, starting verse 25, Jesus says to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then it says, beginning with Moses, which would have been the law, the very beginning of Scripture, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the Scriptures. And so Jesus walks these men through the entire Old Testament to show them that Jesus is the Messiah. Every page tells the story. The Holy Spirit inspired a book that obsessively details the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. So how can we know when the Spirit is leading and reigning? Jesus and only Jesus is exalted. Jesus and only Jesus is exalted when the Holy Spirit is moving. Everything the Spirit does brings glory to Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians 3. He said, I pray, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened 
with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, so we see uh, so much in the modern church this desire like, man, we need to be more spirit-focused. We need to be more, emphasize the Holy Spirit and really make a lot out of the Holy Spirit. One theologian kind of framed that idea and that passion this way, and I think it's beneficial for us to consider this. He said, I do not honestly believe that a new spirit-centeredness is what our churches need. I do believe, however, that the Spirit's sign, desire, and work is that we be overcome again, thrilled again, excited, impressed, and gripped again by the wonder, the majesty, the earthiness, and the relevance of Jesus and His Word to our world. See, the Holy Spirit delights to put Jesus on a pedestal. If we're going to endeavor to learn about the Holy Spirit and try to make much of the Holy Spirit, what we're going to end up with is making much about Jesus. And as we grow to walk in the Scriptures more, we too will delight more and more in putting Jesus on the pedestal. The Spirit is moving, glorifying Jesus. But He doesn't just give us more Jesus. There's a second thing that the Spirit does. Objective number two is to set people apart for God. To, to take a people and to set them apart for God and his purposes. See, the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus and teaches us to enjoy Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, s- s- just consider that for a second. Talk about being set apart. That is a, that is a statement that bears tremendous witness to the presence of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life. He has been so set apart for God's work, he doesn't even identify himself as who he once was. He says, it is Christ who lives within me. And he continues, he says, the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And what that means for us is even though we live in the same body, the same flesh and blood with the same temptations, the same mind, there's a very real sense that Jesus is unified with us. And, and what it does is the Spirit changes in us our identity by identifying with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And this has done two things in those of us who, uh, who are saved. I know it's happened in my life. It does two things in us. It breaks the power that sin had on our old life, first of all. And it causes us to enjoy Jesus, to enjoy Him and pursue Him. And the Spirit takes both the power of sin away, and then he fills the empty spot with a love for Jesus. It's exactly what happened in my life. I didn't choose to follow Jesus because I had a faithful person in my life hammering me about the sin I was doing. Billy, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. You're hurting other people. That's not only bad, it's stupid. Stop sinning. What you're doing is sinning. You're disappointing God. Try harder. Change the way you're acting. Why are you doing the same thing? That's not what brought me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I knew that sin was bad. I, I spent most of my life trying to change the way that I lived. But I'd give up one thing only to find myself pursuing another or falling into another. See, the problem in my heart was that sin was an idol to me, and it had real power. It was a power I couldn't break on my own, and the only way the idol of sin was conquered was when a greater authority usurped that authority in my life. The Holy Spirit did that work in me. 
The Holy Spirit enabled me to look upon Jesus and see him as Lord and know him as Savior. The Holy Spirit gave me eyes and a heart to see and worship Jesus. It's what the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, We all, with unveiled faces, were looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that's at work within us. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to unveil our faces so we can look upon Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us and to counsel us and to lead us into truth as we walk. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just get rid of our desires to sin. He replaces our desire for a, with a new desire, a desire for God's holiness, a desire to pursue the things of God. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, you will notice a love for Jesus and a love for the things that glorify Jesus in your life and in the world around you. The Spirit will exalt Christ in you. The Spirit will give you a desire to pursue God and to pursue the things of God. The third objective of the Holy Spirit is to engage us in mission. Now, it'd be easy for us in the U.S. to be very self-focused as we uh, pursue the Holy Spirit. Right? It would be very easy for us. We exalt Christ, and we focus on growing and growing and encouraging one another. But see, mission is what keeps us, one of the things that keeps us from being too inward-focused. Because what the Holy Spirit does is He fills us with Jesus and he fills us with joy and love, and then he causes us to explode that love and that joy out into the world. It's not an inward-focused thing. It's a, it's a filling up for the purpose of pouring out. This is what we see in the book of Acts. Now, what I'm about to say is not heresy, because it was done hundreds of years after the book of Acts was written, but the book of Acts is titled incorrectly. It shouldn't be the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts, when they were trying to sell Bibles back whenever they named it, it should have been entitled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the book of Acts records the mission of God's Spirit to invade the entire world as never seen before. It's, it's not about things that men did. It's about things that the Holy Spirit of God was doing. We see Jesus exalted in different languages spontaneously. We see Jesus exalted in the church we see a change throughout the New Testament for Jesus to be exalted in big ways and in small ways for people to, to live for Christ in their everyday life. And Jesus explains this missional drive in that, that passage again from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, and then you'll be my witnesses. See, this power leads us into mission. Jesus explains how we are to go. We're to go in power, we're to go with the Holy Spirit upon us, and we're to go to the ends of the earth, he says. Matthew chapter 28, he very specifically said, we're to go to all the nations. He's not talking about political nations, he's referring to all peoples, all people groups. Now, this is a small aside, but I think it's, it's, it's worth jumping into for just a moment. Uh, there are still, currently, right now in the world, uh, nearly 7,000 unreached people groups. This refers to people, groups of people, who have never heard about Jesus at all. These are people who will never hear about Jesus because there's no missionary, there's no Bible in their language, there's no access to the gospel. 7,000 people groups who are unreached. Now, these 7,000 people groups make up about 40% of the world's population. That's 
That's roughly 3 billion people, nearly 3 billion people. These are people who will live and die without ever hearing about Jesus, not just because they live too far from a church, but because no one in their people group knows anything about Jesus and no, there's no access to the gospel. Hence Paul's words in Romans chapter 10, how will they hear if people are not sent? And so it must be a goal of ours as we study and give ourselves to more of the Holy Spirit in our life as a church that many among us would be filled with this Spirit and go to the nations in obedience. That's got to be a goal of ours. We have to at least be thinking about that and asking the Lord for that. And I hope some of us will be sent from this room. I know some of you who, who are here, the first service we had a bunch of them, people who had gone. There's some people who are preparing to go. We should be praying for more. But here's, a, here's the, the challenge in my life is that I've noticed that the older I get, the more I like my living room. And not just my living room, I actually have a chair. That's my chair in my living room. And, and I, I really like that chair. And so I'm like, once you get me in that chair, it can be difficult to get me out. So I'm in this chair, and I'm in my living room, in my house, in my nice, safe neighborhood, in our awesome community here on the beach, in our wonderful nation, right, where we can still exercise religious freedoms. It's a, a lot of hurdles to jump over. Now, if you notice, I'm not like a hurdler physique. I look at those hurdles, right? And I, you don't have to laugh at that. It's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, That's just, I don't know, you know, why would I do that? We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Because if I'm not very careful, it can be hard for me to get out of my living room. It can be hard for me to, be, to obey the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful not to let our roots go down too deeply into comfort and financial security, or we may never go when we're called. Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Man, that is good reason for us to seek the Holy Spirit this summer so that we can, maybe some of us need to wake up from the sleepy comfort and the secondary pursuits of our culture that we found ourselves in. Now, perhaps some of you will go to the nations, but every one of us is called to live on mission where we are right now. And it is easy for us to get hung up on that term missions, right? Because missions uh, can, can mean to us simply just some radical overseas thing. Listen right now, let, let's let the Apostle Paul liberate us from that mindset, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20. Paul says, let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Okay, that means that God has sent you to the place where you are right now so that you can walk in the Holy Spirit right now. You live, you work, you go to school, you shop, you hang out, you do life right where God is leading you to exalt Jesus right now. And some of you might be discouraged by the ordinary life that you lead or the ordinary things you do in life, working a job, being a mom, being a dad, you know, having to try to afford a home and everything that that requires in Southern California. And I get it. It's easy to become frustrated and feel stuck in an ordinary life wishing for the extraordinary Here's the challenge today. Don't waste your life obsessing on the extraordinary things you wish you were doing. Get caught up in the extraordinary work of the Spirit upon the very ordinary life that you lead right now. What is extraordinary is where God calls you to be, regardless of how ordinary that may seem to you. Abraham Lincoln once said, whatever you are, be a good one. 
Whatever you are, be a good one. Perhaps God is calling you to be normal, right? To be an ordinary person so that he can work supernaturally through you. And we hear many people at church, uh, they'll read these radical sending passages about going overseas and these amazing exhortations. And we probably should do more of that here. That is a good thing. However, there's one passage that is underrepresented when we talk about mission. Let's look at this lesser read passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with the second half of verse 10. Paul says, we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Seek to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business to work with your hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. Guys, that is a call to mission for the ordinary right there. The Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus through ordinary people right where we live right now. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work hard. Grow in holiness. Don't live in debt. See, that simple wisdom that the Holy Spirit will bless and use supernaturally. Because it's the Holy Spirit that manifests the presence of the living God. It's the Holy Spirit that applies the work of God to everything he encounters. So we don't have to rely on our abilities. We don't have to rely on our knowledge. We don't have to rely on some watertight, perfect theology before we start living on mission. Listen, you may live an ordinary life right now, perhaps, but God will use your life to show himself as extraordinary to the world in which you live. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the quality, not the longevity, the quality of one's life is what's important. Biblically speaking, a quality life is a life that's lived in submission to the will and to the work of God. Right now, the Holy Spirit is at work. He's convicting the world of sin, convincing the world of the magnificence of Jesus. This means that the Holy Spirit is at work where you work, where you raise your kids, where you shop, where you attend classes. The Holy Spirit is at work in your neighbors, in your neighborhood. The Holy Spirit is at work in your living room with your children right now. And our invitation to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit And that's a submission to the Holy Spirit in us. And that invitation to submit to the Holy Spirit at work around us, it's simply an invitation for us to participate in what the Holy Spirit is already doing in the world around us. Right where you live right now, submit your life to Jesus. Right where you are right now, join the Holy Spirit as he reaches the people around you. He is at work right now at our jobs, our homes, at our schools, and each of us is given an opportunity to respond and participate to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. And some of us will go and partner in that work. God might be preparing you with a very ordinary life to someday go and do something overseas and radical. But listen, be faithful right now. Some of you may be called to go and do that work. Some of us might be called to stay and partner that work. The right question for us to ask today is not, where is God calling me to go? The right question to ask today is, am I willing to submit my life to the work of the Holy Spirit right where I am, right now? So the Holy Spirit is at work. God is on mission. And so we're going to look at the third, the third point here. Why does the Holy Spirit do what he does? What is his motivation Why does the Spirit do what He does? And we see throughout Scripture that the desire behind God's mission and the desire behind God's work of the Spirit is simple. God desires to share Himself. We see that uh, in and through creation as He creates a world that He desires to live in and creating people to uh, enjoy Him. 
when humanity rejects God, God wins us back. He brings his people together as the church. He pours his spirit out upon us. And there's this beautiful invitation in that. As God desires to share himself with us, we hear this invitation, and it's something that the Holy Spirit does in us as we begin to think differently. One theologian put it this way, that the Father so enjoyed loving the Son that he wanted his love to be in others. And so the Son went to the cross because he so loved the Father, and he wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. And the Spirit catches us up to share in their pleasure. And it's that delight in them that fuels us to want to make them known. You see what's going on there? As the Holy Spirit tries to give us a greater view of Jesus, he grows within us the desire for intimacy with God. He grows within us the desire to pursue the things of God. He grows within us the desire to share God's love for us with others. The same things that motivate the members of the Trinity to do what they do. It's the same love that God restores us to as we're invited into his love. We see that the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us a taste of the love that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share with one another. And the Holy Spirit gives us a taste of this approval that the Father has with the Son and the Son has with the Spirit. It's a sense of approval that we step into. This love, we get to experience the satisfaction and the trust and the acceptance and the joy. Guys, we get to we get to experience the sheer pleasure that God has for us in Christ. And the Spirit is pulling us in to experience the intimacy and the love and the joy that he himself has experienced for all eternity as a member of the Godhead. The Spirit causes us to experience what C.S. Lewis refers to as the divine dance. It's this dance of love between the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're invited into experience that, getting caught up in the radical love. In Romans, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is a gift to God's people, and indeed, the Holy Spirit is an inexplainably extravagant gift. But what he does in us is vital and crucial to how we live and how we function, and for anything to go right. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is vital. It's crucial in us. And we're in serious error if we neglect the Spirit or ignore the Spirit or if we do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything worthwhile apart from the Holy Spirit. Sure, we can spin our wheels in religion or routine or intellectual teachings as a church or something like that, but we can never participate in the plans or purposes of God apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't glorify Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't find rest or joy or satisfaction or nourishment for our own personal souls apart from the Holy Spirit. We're certainly never going to see a move of God like we see in the early church apart from the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to come upon us and work within us so that we can join Him in exalting Jesus in pursuing holiness and receiving God's call and God's power for mission. As we pursue the Holy Spirit this summer, that is the end to which we pursue. Intimacy with Christ, more Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit sends us out to share this love to the world. And guys, the Holy Spirit is at work around you. He's desiring to work upon you, and he's desiring to work in you. And so today, let's cry out to God to pour out His Spirit upon us, to indwell us. Let's cry out to God 
asking him to lead us into the insane love that the Father shares with the Son and the Spirit. That is the invitation that God is extending to us by pouring his Spirit out upon us. Amen? Let's pray as a church. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. And this morning now, God, in light of all those things you've done, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us, your church today, God. Help us to see Jesus. For those of us who know Jesus, help us to to see Jesus more clearly and to exalt Jesus within us. Spirit, unveil our faces, as Paul says. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to step into the love of the Father. Help us to step into that love. As we experience and walk in this love, we pray, God, that our identities would be found holy in Christ. As our identities shift, God, we ask you to shift our desires to be in line with your desires. And as our desires shift, Holy Spirit, send us out in power to bear witness to this incredible love. We're desperate for you, Holy Spirit. Give us a willingness to respond to your work in our life. Empower our lives so that we can boldly live for Jesus right here, right now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.